0: Good morning, good to see you guys. What a beautiful morning, huh? Had a nice rain going, make it all beautiful out there. Good stuff. Um, So if you happen to be new here this morning, we wanna welcome you. We're grateful that you're here, we're honored that you're here. Um, And if you're looking for a church home, we certainly hope that you will find one uh, somewhere in the community. if God should put it on your heart that this is your church home, then we hope that you will plug in, that you will uh, dig in, and, and, and just come and join us uh, just with, with all of, of who you are. But if not, we also, I want you to know that we partner, we are in unity with, with many of the churches in town here. Uh, we, we love the pastors. We love the people of those churches. And we would want to see you plug in to wherever God calls you. And again, not just attend but plug in and be a part of that church family. So last week, I was uh, really blessed by what Ben said, and Ben almost always gets the opportunity to kind of um, uh, kind of uh, do a little commentary on my sermons, right, uh, uh, when he's leading worship, and so I thought I'd take opportunity and do the same thing maybe back here, and then he'll probably take the opportunity and comment on it, and it's all good. But no, I was very blessed, and I know you were too, last week with what, uh, ben had to say about just this realm of the unseen, um, that, that, that basically that, that God has has really uh, given us this eternal perspective that we're to hold, that that the problem with us is that we kind of get caught up in the scene, we get caught up in the here and now, um, and we, we don't frame that in reference to eternity. And when we begin to frame the struggles, the difficulties, the hardships of our lives uh, by the lens of eternity, it starts to change our perspective perspective and it gives us a different perspective of how to live life and what that looks like. In other words, kind of if we we understand our destination, then we can start to make plans on how to get there. If there are realities in our lives about what life is about and what that looks like, um, and we said, "Look, I want to. I want to. I want to get to this place. Then how now do we begin to do the things and apply the things into our lives to get there?" Ben also talked about the reality of how we're we're just broken folks, right? We're just broken people that that this isn't a place where we gather all of the people of Sheridan that got it all together. We're here and we're here together, and we got it. No, no, we're we're, we're people who are broken, who are being healed, who are who are in this process um, with with. God of being changed and being transformed more and more into the image of Christ. And that, and that really that we are these clay pots. I love that idea that we're these clay pots with imperfections. And when you put a light into a clay pot that has imperfections, that light shines out. And then we recognize that those those, those, those weaknesses then become strengths because this is the place where God's strength is perfected, right, is in our weakness. But here's the reality, right, is that we live in the scene right we 're here for now we're, we're this is this is the realm that we 're living in this is the life that we 're living and we're living in the scene and how do we do that how do we how do we look to that and how do we how do we move uh, through this? And Paul is going to give us some ideas here. He's going to give us a lot of therefores as we hit chapter 5. Ben was in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So if you want to turn your Bible on, grab a Bible, um, go that way. We'll also put it up on the screen. But let's get into uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 here a little bit. Now, understand, too, one thing that is a little bit of background here, too, is that Paul is living a very, um, uh, his life is a very humble life. His, His life is a very difficult life. He's a, he's a servant of Christ, he's, he's uh, persecuted for his faith, he is put down and he really lives a very impoverished life. He, he is a tent maker on the side, his primary focus is ministry and that's what he does but so to not be a burden to any of the churches, he builds tents on the side and he lives a very poor simple life. So there are these super, there's the soup, apostles that are going around um, it, and they're coming to the church of Corinth and they're saying, well, look at us, we're a lot bigger deal than Paul. We got a lot better clothes, we're not being persecuted, we're, more, we're much more dynamic than he is and all of these different things. And, and they're saying, therefore, you should listen to us and not be listening quite as much to Paul. So that's a little bit of the background too of 2 of Corinthians, but let's get into this. And it says this, Uh, Verse 1, chapter 5, For we know that if our earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made by hands eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. So again, Paul begins to frame this perspective for us, and this—this this, our perspective is our lens for life—really becomes eternity. And what does that look like? If we have a hope, and we have we have uh, we have an eternal promise from God, then how does that shape how we live? In the middle of the now. Well Paul uses this analogy of that we're going from this earthly tent, which represents the temporal, into a building, right? And this building is a building from God and it is not made by human hands. And that's the same picture. God himself does not dwell in temples now built by human hands, right? But, but in the hearts of his people. And we, therefore, also will not dwell in a, a building that's made by human hands, but in God himself. It's this picture of God in us and us in God and him holding us and giving us the security and the meaning and the purpose that we have life. You see, what Paul is beginning to frame for us here is destiny, Destiny is one of the most important questions that we have in this life. Where am I going? Because where I'm going has a big difference in how I begin to live this life. We are moving from this temporal tent into this building, but we groan and we struggle. There's a reality of the life that we're living in now. There's injustice. There's hardship. There's suffering. There are tears. There's pain. There's death. And these are the reality of the life that we live in. But this is not the reality of the unseen, right? This is where Ben was taking us last week. The reality of the unseen is much greater than this. When we look at the book of Job, we'll see this idea. If you read the book of Job, you'll find yourself offended by injustice. That this righteous guy who follows God, who God himself calls this righteous guy, suffers and and is allowed to have this incredible loss and struggle and suffering brought into his life. And you see, if if we leave Job's life and the whole book of Job in the scene, then we will always struggle with the injustice. But the only way out of the book of Job is two things, to A, recognize that Job sits in the presence of God today and we have to ask ourselves, in the presence of Jesus today, does Job regret the circumstances of his life that he lived on earth? And I would hold that the answer to that is no, that Job is actually grateful for the circumstances of his life and how God has knit the circumstances of his his life into something beautiful, into something meaningful, that Job got to be the guy who answered the question for all of us, is the relationship between God and his people based in the temporal? Is it based only in health? Is it only based in, in, in wealth and blessing and prosperity, or is it deeper than that? Is it an eternal relationship that can't be touched in the temporal? Job also through his life got to answer the question or, or be the one who brings comfort sometimes when, we, when we're facing struggle and suffering and difficulties that we didn't ask for and we don't understand, that we go to the book of Job and we begin to see that maybe it's not just my fault. Maybe it's not something that I've done. Maybe it's just the reality of some of the struggle that's in this world, but that God is doing a bigger picture, that he's doing something that in the unseen that I may not be exactly um, uh, mindful of at the moment. The book of Ecclesiastes does this very thing and a year or two ago, we went through the book of Ecclesiastes and remember Ecclesiastes becomes this template and it actually begins to take death and give us a blueprint of how to live life. If death is, is a reality in our lives, if ultimately, at the end of the day, we are going to all pass from this, this existence into the next, um, then what does that look like? If, if that's the case for us, if we all know that we're going to have a funeral one day and that people are going to say things at that funeral, what kind of things would we want said at our funeral? And if that's the reality, then how today do we begin to shape our lives so that that is accomplished, really? So it gives gives us a, a perspective. It gives us a template of how to live life. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart without the possibility that mankind will find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. So it's God who's given us this, even this idea of eternity. You ever think of that? Like, like where do we get the concept of eternity? Everything around us is temporal. Everything around us is passing away. Everything around us is subject to the second law of thermodynamics that says it's all moving towards decay. But somehow we have this idea, this thing of eternity that draws at us, that pulls at us. And almost everybody, regardless if they're Christians or not, believes that there is something beyond this world, Ecclesiastes says that that comes from God, that we may not always understand it perfectly. We may not always get the whole of it in this world perfectly, but one day we're gonna understand better. Oops. Goes on to say, um, since in fact after putting it on, we will not be found naked, for indeed we who are in this tent groan, being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. So we don't want to be exposed. We don't want to be left alone. We want to have that comfort and that security of our relationship with God. We want to know that when we pass out of this life, that we're held by Him and that it's Him who is going to be faithful to move us and to take us into heaven, into eternity with Him. And the thing that God is doing is that He is preparing us us for this very purpose. Ben talked about all of creation speaking the gospel. I so am into that and believe that as well. Everything about who we are preaches the gospel. As a matter of fact, I'll hold that almost every successful movie that you've ever watched or seen has the gospel at the heart of it. It somehow has the gospel of, 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 of a redeeming hero, of someone who comes in who saves the day. All of the Marvel movies, all of this stuff is this idea, right, of someone who comes in. Ben talked about that. Even the movies, the, the movie writers cannot help but tell the gospel because it's written to our very soul. And that God has given us this the spirit, the spirit of God, when we become a believer, that the spirit indwells the believer, and begins to change us, right? But that's a pledge, it's a promise. It's this idea that we're sealed with the spirit that says God will not forget you. He will not leave you alone and abandoned, um, uncovered as it will. Second Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. You see, God is gonna, we know that God is coming for us because he's left himself within us. And and even when we're faithless, even when we don't do the right thing, even when we mess up, even when we screw up, even when we're those broken vessels, He's faithful because it's all about Him. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's not Jesus plus how good you can be until you die. It is Jesus and Jesus alone, and He is the one who's faithful, and He is the one and who is the only one who is worthy for us to put our trust in. So here we are. Again, we're living in the tension. We live in the already, but not yet, right? This is already accomplished for us. This is already our inheritance. This is already a promise for you if you're in Christ. But we're not quite there yet. We're here and we're living here. And God has given us purpose. And we're going to deal with that. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. Goes on to say, therefore, remember... What's it there for? It's there for a reason, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight, but we are of good courage and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. And so we we are at this spot that we are walking this walk out and we are walking it out by faith. And faith is the connection between the unseen and the seen. We don't walk by sight. We don't walk just by what we can see. We walk into the unseen. See, the very nature of faith itself is hope in the unseen, in what we don't see, in what isn't obvious, right? But it's our link. It's our connection between the seen and the unseen. It's that place that, again, frames our perspective so that we know how to live in the tension of the now. And it says that you know, it's our greatest desire, whether we're with him or prior, we're waiting to be with him, that we would be pleasing to the Lord. This is who we desire to be. This isn't a work that we're trying to do. This is a position that the spirit is bending us into that, that if, we're, if we're yielded to Christ, if we're rooted in him, if we're living our life through him, that the very thing that is pleasing to him is also gonna be the thing that is pleasing to us. It's the very thing that we're gonna want to do because because not because of external um, motivations to do something or just to be good, but because he's living in us and he's changing us from the inside out. To be pleasing is a demonstration of our affection, of our loyalty, and of our focus in this life. Goes on to tell us this, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive compensation for his deeds done through the body in accordance with what he has done, whether good or bad. Okay, let's let that soak in. What what it's telling us here is that what you do here matters, that there's purpose for what you do and what you do or don't do matters. And it matters, and what we're talking about here is the Bema Seat of Christ. It is not the judgment of the unbeliever. This is, this is an account that the believer gives of our lives, that one day we'll sit in the presence of Jesus and nobody else will be there. Your church body won't be there. Your family won't be there. Your Bible study folks won't be there. Um, your pastor won't be there, but you'll be there and you'll give an account for the resources and for the things and for the life and for the giftings that you were given and what we did with them. And we need to really get a hold of that. We need to live in that reality because if we started to frame our lives now from that perspective and say, man, what I do really matters. And it doesn't just matter here, it's gonna matter for all eternity. That that there's actually a system, and I can't explain to you exactly what it's gonna look like, but there is a system of reward. And there's a system of position. Now, in heaven, everybody's going to have the the whole deal. They're all going to be there. It's all going to be good still. We're not going to be jockeying for position. But somehow what we do here is going to make a difference when we get there. And there's going to be reward right there. Compensation, it says. Right? I'll tell you a funny joke really quick. Okay? So it's a proverbial guy dies, goes to heaven, Uh, goes up and sees Peter right at the gates, and um, and, and the guy's looking around, and there's just massive mansions everywhere. It is amazing. I mean, it's just like, he's like, whoa, man. I mean, he's like, it's just like everything he's ever watched on TV, all of the rich shows, the lifestyles of the rich and famous and stuff. He's like, wow, look at all these mansions. He's like, which one of these is mine? And Peter's like, ah, well, actually, none of these. We have... He's like okay, come on you know we got to we got to head down this way. So they keep heading down and they're heading down through these neighborhoods, right? And and they get this man they're still just nice, beautiful homes, not as quiet and like as like as it was before, but still great. And he's like, "Oh man, my house is in here?" He's like, "Ah, no. No, we we got to keep going." So they keep going. They're going down and as they go, the houses just get progressively smaller and smaller and stuff, but they're still decent and stuff, you know, and the guy's He's like, "Surely it's one of these, right?" He's like, "Ah, no, we down, it's down this way some more. So they're walking. Now they're, you know, they're just, a, you know, houses, three bedroom, two bathroom, little ranch houses. He's like, okay, which one's mine? He's like, ah, got to go a little further. Keeps going down there a little ways. And, and they, they, they get a, right in front of this, just this shack, man. And it's just like some two by fours and some sheet metal on it, you know? And he's like, here you go. And he's like, you're kidding me. He's like, that's my house? Peter's like, Yeah, man, that's all the lumber you sent up. (laughs) Somehow, somehow it's going to matter. Verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade people, but we are well known to God, and I hope that we are also well known in your consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we have lost our minds, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. What a, uh, this is again, Peter, or uh, I'm sorry, Paul talking and, and talking about just this idea that people are coming and accusing him, saying, look, by the, you can tell that God isn't with him because he's, he, you know, the way he dresses and the way he lives and what all happens to him. And he's like, look, we, we, we are doing this because we understand the awesomeness of who this God is. We have a fear of the Lord. We understand his greatness, his majesty, who he is, the power that he wields, and what he means in our lives. This is why we do this. And so we persuade people. We go out and we tell people, you got to know this, God, right? And we're persecuted for it, but God knows who we are, right? And, and, and then he, he goes on to say that we hope that you'll understand that too so that you don't just think that this is all about the outward appearance and not the inward. See, this is how we kind of view church a lot of times as Americans, right? We, we think that churches or ministries are successful by how big the buildings are, how many people they pack in there, or how awesome the show is that they put on and stuff. But God doesn't, he doesn't rate success on those terms. It's not about numbers. It's not about the successes that we would see or our plans. A lot of times, um, it's about what he has done. It's about the heart is what it's about. It's not about the outside appearance. It's about the heart. It's always about the heart. And then if we've lost our minds, that's, you know, Jesus is a great place to lose your mind because um, people will all think you're crazy if you really give your life to Jesus. When I gave my life to Jesus, all my old friends were like, "Man, don't, you know, don't even go there. We'll try. Don't. He, he's jumped on like the Jesus bus. You, it'll be an hour talking to that dude. And so anyway, but I it was. That's all right. That's good. If I'm going to be crazy, I want to be crazy for the Lord, man. Not for, not for the dumb things that are out there in the world to be crazy about and crazy for. For the love of Christ controls us, or it compels us, some say. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all. So that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. This is the picture. This is the gospel that, that Jesus died on our behalf. That he not just di- didn't just die, but, but his resurrection proves his righteousness. It proves that, again, like we said, that he wrote a check for us, and that check cleared, and we can know that because of the resurrection. And the Bible says that he did that for everyone, and that we'll all die. And that the reality of this world is, is that we'll either die and live to Christ, or we will die and we'll owe a debt that's impossible for us to repay. We'll owe a debt that is, that is beyond our ability to pay. Therefore, again, therefore, from now on we recognize no one by the flesh, even though we have known Christ by the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. I don't know about you but i want to be known as the new creation and not the old creation try in bc was a very different try up to very different things things that that i don't i don't even you know they they don't identify me this is the good news that we aren't our actions we aren't who we've been we're the new creation in christ We're who he's made us to be. We're who he died so that we could live into this. And then he's handed us this purpose in life. You see, new things have come. Old things have gone, new things have come. The things in the past. We 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 put those in the past and we press on. What? Towards the prize, Paul says, right? Towards that eternal perspective, towards that real reason, that real truth in life. The reality that we know that there's gotta be more to live for in this world than the here and now. So what great news that we could be a new creation. You see, this is the message of the gospel, and this is the message that the church has to have to the world out there, is that no, we're not gonna just try to leave you where you're at. We're not gonna leave you in your brokenness. We wanna see you transformed. Jesus came to make you a new creation, and all things are possible through him, amen? Amen. Now, all these things are from God, it's all about him, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoing against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What an amazing thing, that God has come to reconcile us together, to bring us in, to to make us right before a holy and righteous God. He's come to reconcile us. And then guess what? He has given us, the church, a ministry of reconciliation that says we're to go out and we're to tell the world about this great deal. That guess what? You can be in right relationship with your creator. You, you, can, you can be a new creation. You can be forgiven of all your past, and you can have an entirely new hope and future set before you. What, is, what wouldn't anybody want beyond that? Unfortunately, many times we want our sin more than we want that, and that becomes the inhibiting factor between us and our relationship with God is our own desire to just live our own same old lifestyle for the temporal, for sin, for ourselves, and to not find the real purpose that God has for us, this ministry of reconciliation. Do you know that God wants you to take your life and your giftings and your influence and use it in the lives of people to help them to get there too, right? It's like, I know the way, come on, you guys. Imagine if we had the cure for cancer, where would we be? Who would we be telling? What places would we be? How on fire for that message would we be if we knew the cure for cancer today and we could tell. But you see, we have a cure for something beyond cancer, something much greater, something much more important than that we would be healed up in this physical life. The one that would say that we know how you can get to eternal life. And we become ambassadors, and an ambassador lives in the culture that he's an ambassador to. We're supposed to be in this world, but not of it, right? That's what an ambassador does, you know? An ambassador doesn't go out there and try to change everything about the culture in which he is living. He goes out there as a representative of the place he's from, and he talks, and he shares, and he loves within that community of people as well. You see, it goes on, it says that he did this by not counting their wrongdoings against them. See, this is the only way that we can be right before God is that God has to not count our wrongdoings against us. And how does he do that? Well, he did that through the cross. Isaiah 43, 25, I I alone am the one who wipes out your wrongdoings for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. What an amazing thing. What an amazing uh, transaction here that God says he won't even remember your sins. So, you know, we, we, we receive forgiveness. We ask Christ. And then a lot of times we just keep going back to those old things, don't we? We're like, Lord, remember that thing I did way back then? Oh, I'm so ashamed of that. And I am so sorry. And will you forgive me? And if you've been forgiven, God's like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? I forgot that. Why did you forget that? Because of what Jesus has done. You're an ambassador for Christ. You have purpose. We have the idea here of destiny, we have the idea of identity. We are a new creation in Christ, set apart for greater purposes, set apart for real work, for real meaning, right? And then we have a purpose. We become ambassadors of this ministry of reconciliation. And here's the deal. That's not my ministry. That's not just my, it is, but it's not just mine. It's not just Pastor Mike's. It's all of us. And unless the church moves as an authentic body the way that God designed it, that if all of us bringing our giftings and our talents and and, and the things that God has given us and our resources and coming together and moving and operating in the world out there together, then we won't operate the way that, that God has called the church to operate. We won't be the ambassadors that God has called us to be. It really takes, it's a corporate thing. It's a body. It's not just one Head trying to roll around somewhere, getting it all done. It, it's a body that has to be together and to move together. Verse 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What, what a statement there. So, so think about this. What's that say? That says that God treated Jesus the way that you and I deserved to be treated on the cross that that's the picture, the way that you and I deserved, rightly deserved, the justice, the right punishment that was on us, God treated Jesus that way. But he didn't stop there. You know, God could have just been this God that said, yeah, I forgave them, a bunch of rotten little lot of them, you know, but it's all right, you know. He didn't stop there. It says that we might become the righteousness of God in him, that he gave us righteousness. He didn't just stop with forgiveness. He brought us in. He reconciled us. He wrapped his arms of righteousness around us and then imputed righteousness into an account where we had none. And so now, if you're in Christ, the Bible says that that when God looks at you, he sees Jesus and he treats you the way he treats Jesus. He sees you the way that he sees Jesus. Ben talked about last week about the sacrificial system and, and I like that analogy and that idea, you know that that prior to the cross these they were they were basically coming and they were offering sacrifices, right? To not to eradicate sin, but really just to kind of keep things going. Right? Anybody ever run a credit card up really high? Like, like, like you got a credit card and you're like, "Wow, man, you didn't really mean to, but all of a sudden you're checking your bill, you're like, "There's no way, man." And you're like, "Oh, God, I did it." And you got a credit card bill. OK, I know it's not you guys. It's just me. I did it before, OK? I, can, I know that I, no hands went up. I'm, but this is me. You run that bill up really high, and then you're in a jam, right? But you know what, if you just make that minimum payment? If you make that minimum payment, that'll keep that account open, right? It keeps the account from going into foreclosure. That was kind of how the sacrificial system looked. It didn't really pay the debt off, right? It just, it paid the interest on the debt and it kept the account open. But when Jesus came on the cross, He came and He just he took obliterated all of the debt. Now all the debt is gone, it's just gone. There's no debt anymore. But He did more than that. He gave you a credit card And it has no limit to it. And he said, here you go. This is my righteousness. This is yours. Now go spend it. Just don't spend it on you. Spend it on others. Take the life that we've been given and let's spend it on others. It's the ultimate paradox that he who made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so I don't know where you sit today. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never accepted that transaction. Maybe you've never really reckoned with the reality that that you have a need and that need is for a savior. The, The need is outside of you because you've been the offense, you've been the problem. And so therefore there's a real need for you to seek out a solution that's outside of you. And this is where Jesus comes in and to to believe on this fact that that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin so that you could be forgiven, so that you could have right standing before a holy and righteous God. And then he gave you righteousness. He, He lavished righteousness on you and gave you a purpose in this life. And that's the greatest life. It's the highest life worth living. So... If you've never done that, I'll just give you an opportunity as we pray. I wanna tell you that it's, it's really about a heart. It's about a heart that says, man, I need that. I really need that. I need something different. What I'm doing isn't working. And just to ask simply for Jesus to come in and to save us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you've done for us what was impossible for us, that you loved us so much, that you came and you substituted your life for our life so that we might live for you so that we might not be unclothed as it were but that we might be clothed in eternity that we might have a security for all time we thank you jesus that you've come and that you've done that will you just forgive us lord forgive us for the things that we do and lord forgive us for the things that we don't do lord we ask that you would restore us that you would be the lord of our lives that you would that we would put nothing between our relationship with you and this, in this world, that, that we would have no idols, that we would look to you, that we would believe on you with the whole of our being, that you would be Lord of our lives, that we would bow the knee before you, that we would acknowledge that you're the King of kings and that you're the Lord of lords, that you in you is all goodness, is all power, is all identity, is all purpose, is all destiny summed up, that you've made us, Lord, you've made us And we rejected you and we went our own way. But Lord, we ask that you would reconcile us back to yourself. That you would come as the great reconciler. That you would change us. And that Lord, if we've made that... Decision. If we've done that in the past, Lord, we ask that you would reshape our perspective, that you would help us to see the reality and we would see the, the this life, the scene, through the lens of the unseen, that faith would connect the unseen to the seen in this world and that we would be a people who are sold out to the ways of you, that we would understand and know that one day we'll sit before you and that we will give an account for the life that you've given us. Lord, may we just, may we hear well done, good and faithful servant in that report. And Lord, may we, may we align our lives even this day. We just acknowledge our sin. We ask that you would forgive us. We acknowledge that we've done our own things, that we've built our own kingdom. And we ask, Lord, that you would restore us even today and that, Lord, our hope would be your hope, that our heart would match your heart, that our eyes would see this world the way that you do, and that, Lord, it would be our greatest privilege to be ambassadors for you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.